Our lesson for this morning is from the book of 2 Thessalonians, uh, second chapter. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. We pray. Are these are your words, dear Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Please be seated. When I was younger, I was the best in the world at video games. At least that's kind of how I acted. I was really into Super Smash Brothers back when it was on the N64. And all my friends and family, I could just crush them on it with basically whichever character I wanted. I could even do the ones that weren't so good. And I crushed the competition. I could beat my friends on it. And everyone was kind of would make comments about how special I was. I must have had these extra fast and quick reflexes that I could just do this sort of thing. And then something called online gaming happened. And then all of a sudden you're kind of confronted with the whole world of people that are really a lot better at games. And of course you can get by a while being like, okay, well, maybe they're aimbots, maybe uh, some people are cheaters. But eventually the cold hard reality hits, you know, I'm not really that special. And I think maybe have a lot of things, we go phases in life where we maybe feel special at something and then something kind of hits us and we realize, oh, yeah, maybe that's kind of fleeting. Maybe I'm really not so special. And that can sometimes be hard to come to grips with because we can maybe feel like a meaningless blip in this world. And I, I hope really that the lesson I just read for us today uh, can help because Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation. And I think there's a lot of specialness in that word choosing. And he's writing to the Thessalonians, and, and it's not like we're simply overhearing a conversation. This is something that is recorded as scripture for you and me too. So you can look at this. I can talk to you too, saying God has chosen you. And I think there's a great deal of comfort that comes along with that. A great deal of specialness. Because, yeah, the specialness of being best in the world of video games, that, that isn't going to work out, clearly. It's maybe slightly above average still. But not best. But this is a specialness that really lasts. But as I'm kind of diving into talking about this choosing language of being chosen by God, i got to deal with some issues that can kind of be a little bit of a minefield with it. And it, it touches on a way that it's often categorized as being the doctrine of election. And it can kind of lead in some unhelpful directions if used improperly. So I want to highlight how Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. He writes to them all there, his church, and he can say this generally blanket statement, you have been chosen without qualification. He doesn't give any impression 
Like, well, uh, he's not playing any word games about, well, maybe some, not others, or why he's not playing games about is someone worthy or better that they could be chosen. How could they be when he talks about it being from the beginning? You know, it's before you're even around. So the bad ideas that, that surround this choosing come up when people really try to connect dots that aren't right for us to connect in Scripture and, and use the teaching that's supposed to be purely positive and for comfort and can get in a negative direction with it. And so if this teaching of this choosing doesn't create confidence in our hearts that we're chosen and saved, if it creates doubts, it's not being used right. If it's, it's not meant to play games about the salvation of others or things like that either, if it, if it leads us to create worries and doubts or questions of God and his justice, justness, you know, we're not using it right. We're going places we're not supposed to go with it. And, and some stuff is just beyond our creaturely status, and it's good to come to grips with that sooner than later. So with that kind of out of the way, uh, prefacing things, I want to focus on why this is such a positive, positive comfort for us when, when used correctly. But, well, I think the main thing is, is that it, it, it infuses everything in our, our lives really with meaning. Because God has chosen you. I think when we look at how we live our lives, though, that there are oftentimes where we, in maybe even just being down about our meaning in life, it can lead us to bad attitudes that affect how we interact with those around us. And I think when we see things as not, and ourselves maybe as not horribly meaningful or, or lacking in meaning, the stuff we might do to help others also might seem like, well, what's really the point? And putting in that extra special effort for others can kind of fall by the wayside. We can easily be like, well, what, what, what good is this really going to do? And so when we have many friends that, that need us to be there for them, we can just be like, well, what, what am I going to be able to do? And then we really don't do anything. Or maybe family members that... that uh, need us to be there and, and have a good relationship with them. And be like, well, what, what does it matter? Who am I anyways? Or even as a professor, we'd be like, well, is it really going to make that much of a difference if I put in that extra effort in class? Or for a student, I mean, it can be easy to you know, blow stuff off too. And I think a lot of it centers on when we view ourselves as not really meaningful or we, we see meaninglessness in our lives, it affects our actions to others. And it's in, in the realm of what we call like sins of omission, sins where we omit doing something that we maybe should do that would be good. Because I think there are a lot of days where it's not like, what fiendishly evil thing did I do today? But I think there's a lot of days that go by where there's good things that we could have done to help out a neighbor or friend or something, and we've overlooked those because we've gotten cynical about doing good or making a difference. But I think language of choosing helps reform our thinking on it because it, it, it shows us that there's meaning and it matters. God has chosen you. That's a special, unique status. And it's, when, the, when the text says it's from the beginning, it's so important because it highlights it's in God's hands. It's out of, out of your hands. And so it's totally by grace 
This choosing is meant to highlight God is 100% the one that has worked things out for you and your salvation. And it, and it helps us as we now, with Easter, look back at Christ's work for us because we see the life that he lived is a life lived for you. He lived perfectly without sin so that that life is now your life. It counts for you and in your place of, of, of sin. When he died on the cross, yes, he died generally for all sin, but he also died for you specifically and, and with you in mind. And when he rose again from the dead, yes, he conquered death itself, but he also conquered your death, your specific death with that. And he's forgiven your specific sins, not only sins generally. And this message of being chosen and this, this message that it talks about calling us by the gospel, it takes the, the, things that, the many important things that Jesus did in his life and it makes it concrete for each of us individually that, that this is for you. He's chosen you. He's called you by the gospel. He's created this confidence in your heart by that gospel. He's chosen you for heaven. All this choosing con- uh, talk is meant to make us confident in the status with God. And now circling back a little bit to, to all this video game talk, uh, think about in, in adventure games, you have what, what, you know, the technical term of NPCs, which are these non-playable characters. They're, if, you're on an, if you're on your epic quest in the game, they're these characters where, like say there's one in a village, and in that village that character is either outside the house or at night inside the house, but that character basically only exists so that you interact with him or her and you get a quest line or something. It doesn't matter when you come, it's going to be the same thing. And that character's existence is just kind of there for, for the main character's actual quest. When we recognize our chosen status, I think it leads us from you know, not acting as if we're some small figure, as if we're some mere NPC in this great big world out there. Rather, we have been chosen and we have a quest line set before us. Now, Paul makes this point when he deals with a very similar issue in Ephesians 2.10 where he talks about that, that we have a path set before us of, of works that God has planned in advance that we would walk in them. And it's saying that not only are we chosen, not only are we called by the gospel, we have a quest line that God has given us. <clears throat> now, first of all, the problem might be, might be like, well, I don't know that my quest line is going to be quite as you know, epic sounding as what happens in in you know, video games or MCU action movie or something like that. And now, first of all, to, to that, I would say that when we really t- come to grips with video games, even the fanciest Dragon Slaying quest, they're all kind of fetch quests in the end. They just all kind of are with window dressing on them. They're really not that special when you think about it. When you think about even the movies, you can Google this. There's like seven or so plots that people will say is like basically every movie. And now someone could maybe debate me on that, some theater person or something, and I would invite that. But I think when we look at a lot of movies and stuff, it's like they are really similar. And I think like even Mario, I loved that. My kids loved it. But in the end, it's like, well, that plot wasn't really that unique and special. It was just because we loved Mario. So I think my point is that sometimes we think there's a lot of epic stuff going on and it's really, you don't have to slay a dragon or blow up a building for it to really be special. 
Because really those things aren't that special. I mean, that's like every movie or game. What creates that specialness is the, the relationship of what's given us the quest line. Uh, this is something that's given by God, the relationship he's created with us. That's what makes it special because even slaying dragons is going get, to get boring eventually. And so I don't know what lies before you in life, but what's special about it isn't, again, the amount of buildings that are blown up or the amount of dragons slain. It's in the, the good that we've done or can do that God has put before us in this quest line. Um, it's something that's a result of the relationship he's created for us in faith, result of him saving us already, having chosen us, and giving us every blessing, even eternal life. And so in the end, I hope that you know, we can walk away from this text knowing you have been chosen by God, and that's a great comfort. There's a lot of rabbit holes you can get into with that, which I would not recommend, as I've talked about. I think the Bible makes it a purely positive and comforting thing, and that's what we need to stick to. When we realize what it is, it is a really positive and comforting thing to know that God has chosen you, he's done everything to save you, and we now get to walk in that. We, we look forward to heaven, but he's also given us a quest line until then. Amen.